I say product management is not for everyone. <laughs> and that's really true because as a product manager, you really need to wear many, many multiple hats. You don't need to be like real expert, but you need to be good at like being creative, being good in data, being good in technical understanding. This is the most ever stakeholder heavy role that one can have in the organization. So you need to deal with a lot of different departments. And on top of that, you need to convince those people, or you need to also be open for a change. You need to be strong in your argumentation about the why, and not about that it's your own belief. And you need to be open for a change because things in product change quite often, or, or even things that we don't influence. So you need to be ready for a change, shift the direction, shift the focus. And not everyone is, has this resilience to stress, has this readiness for change. And therefore, product management is not for everyone. Welcome to the Product People podcast, where we learn from amazing product leaders about product management, growth, and product ops. I'm today's host, Mira Lamos, founder and CPO at Product People. Today's guest is Sona Dagesian, director of product at Aviv, a subsidiary of Axel Springer. Previously, she spent two years as head of product at OLX, working on seller monetization. Sona is passionate about empowered product teams. Welcome everyone. We're having Sona Dagesian over with us today. Hey, nice to see you, Mirella. And, uh, my name is Sona Dagesian and I've been doing product management since forever. I, whenever we were still having the waterfall in product management, transformation to agile, and then transformation now to empowered product teams. I always loved uh, solving customer problems and that has never changed in product. And currently my role uh, is here in creating better product management ecosystem and training and um, coaching more product manager to get to the success in, in their work. I remember meeting uh, Sona at uh, Scout 24, one of the largest real estate uh, portals in uh, Germany. And there she was a team lead. And now Sona is head of product at OLX on the seller monetization. And I'm not sure if you're able or open to talk about your next career step that at least I know it's super impressive as well. Sure. So I've been in real estate industry for quite a while now. As you've mentioned, I started with Market Leader in Germany with Scout, been there for five years, then joined OLX, which has vertical brands in three European countries as well, Poland, Romania, and Portugal. And in November, I'm starting my new journey with Aviv Group, trying to help them with their greatest mission and vision. And there we will be driving real estate in France, Belgium, and, and Germany. You've been working a lot on empowering product team. So for the people listening, what does an empowered product team mean to you? Empowered product team to me means a cross-functional team of a product, which means that that team has a dedicated designer, has an engineering team, has product on and they work in a common way on a big customer problems. So they are not told by commercial teams or by C-level individuals, or what are the topics that should appear in the roadmap, but rather they do the discoveries and they do solve the problems on their own. And uh, instead of creating outputs, they create outcomes. And this is the big difference that we quite often see in many organizations that product teams are not working on outcomes, but they are more working on outputs or even the features. Just having the checkboxes marked as uh, topics done and finished, 
However, the impact created on the business and on the customer problem is not significant. So that's the topic that differentiates empowered product teams versus, as it's known, versus feature or delivery teams. And I want that more and more organizations switch towards empowered product teams. Yeah, and uh, also one of the commercial senses is they're getting more bang for their buck because you don't need to always go to these teams and be like pulling teeth, whereas they could be in charge of, hey, we want to grow our margin by that or we want to achieve this annual recurring revenue of X or these retention goals. Go do the work and figure it out yourself. So it's definitely not only good for the PMs and the teams working on this, but also for the business itself. If you would go to a new place or in the companies you work with, what did you see as a clear indication that this is happening or not happening? You gave already the example of the management top-down, but that also can be in some cases where the idea is right or there's some external pressure because of a revenue commitment or something like that. So if you land in a completely new company, what's your indication that the M's are empowered? I guess overall, the whole setup should top to bottom and bottom to top. And therefore, the organization works in a clear way, has a very ambitious mission and vision statement, works with the OKRs where they give the direction to all the team. What is our purpose? Where we are going to? Then in accordance to that, every single product team can also understand how they can contribute to the success of the organization. And that already helps them to get the direction, get better in prioritization. Beyond that, usually there are four risks in every product. That's the value risk, usability risk, visibility risk, and business liability risk. So if I see that product people and product teams are able to distinguish those risks and split them between themselves, they can work to mitigate those risks. Then this is also a good indication. Uh, and then setting up a North Star metric and being more data-driven, uh, having stronger argumentation is definitely already are good signs that there are good chances to have more empowered product teams out there in that organization. Important point here uh, is that the teams work on the customer problems and not of the customer problems of today, but already of the customer problems of tomorrow. Because for today, we are too late. We are living in a very dynamic world where things are changing like significantly at fast. And therefore, thinking more about the future and being customer obsessed, yet in the way that it serves the business, these are also great signs of switching to the empowered product teams. Would you have a success story or example where you brought this change or where you saw the teams working with you do the, the right thing? Yes, absolutely. I, I have seen that and I have seen the impact, how many times bigger is the impact both for the organization and for the customers. And therefore, I decided I should go harder about that and uh, really speak more about empowered product teams, myself as well, to contribute to the change. For example, at OL, OLX was very much commercial-driven organization. But and in these times, right? You, you need the money to pay the salaries and uh, <laughs> keep the business up. Better than not being commercial-driven. That's true. However, there are always both sides, right? When this whole macroeconomical crisis hit, I guess every organization had to cut on the budgets, on the marketing budgets, sales budgets, etc. And there you re recognize that if you have a product-led organization, you can scale very easily. 
And in our example, when product took over on the monetization, especially parts for our sellers, we have seen significant double-digit growth, uh, but not starting with one, unfortunately, I cannot like loudly speak out the numbers, but we have seen double-digit, very big growth year over year by changing the, the whole infrastructure and by changing the, the product from sales-led to product-led. And this doesn't mean that we have mitigated, we have somehow made smaller the seller scheme, et cetera, right? We were in cooperation and by, well, with cooperating with sales team and having their first-line feedback from the customers, meeting the customers more often and understanding their problems in these macroeconomical hard times, We've managed to include a lot of solutions, a lot of painkillers in our new offerings that we were uh, launching for them. And whenever you have the right painkillers, the willingness to pay goes high. Hey, if you're enjoying this Product People podcast, check out our weekly live streams on LinkedIn and YouTube. Back to the episode. Could you give an example, let's say a junior PM or someone that wants to get into product is listening to you and I, I guess they shouldn't be thinking about ibuprofen. Some what's the painkiller in a PM's vocabulary? Hopefully they don't. Yes. So the painkiller in the definition of product is something that helps to solve customer problem, right? If the customer has problem A, B, C, then as a painkiller, you define the solution that is helping them to solve the problem in a meaningful way. And that's what in product is called painkillers. And the same exists also in the gains. Like if you want customer, for example, to make more sales, which will be a gain for them. And then you create a tool that helps them to expand uh, and scale and have more sales automatically or in a faster way, then you create a game creator. And then if you have painkillers and game creators in your products, then definitely the willingness to pay for particular customers also goes high. Because they save on the costs, they do their job faster. They also generate more revenue. And for that, they are also willing to pay more. It's a win-win for both businesses and the organizations and customers that cooperate with that organization. Do you have an example where you thought this is a painkiller and it wasn't? And could you walk me through it? Yeah, I would say partially. So we were working on a very data-driven also a product that was giving full 360 data analytics to the sellers of OLX about their well-being, about the whole analytics of their properties for sale. Um, so we're giving full context of who are the seekers who are looking to your properties, in which locations do they mostly look for properties and all of that. So it was a full 60 data product. And we were seeing this as a very big painkiller that could help home sellers, especially professional sellers, agents and developers to compete better in their domain and, and to sell faster and to advertise better. And even though this product was... In, indeed, having in it all the solutions, all the ingredients were correct. However, the data product itself was a bit complex to use for professional sellers because some of them were still used to their old um, ecosystem of Excel and, and having the data in a simple, interpretable way. And we came up with a very fancy data product with heat maps, with a lot of functionalities, a lot of graphs to digest. That's also very expensive turned, to build. 
<laughs> exactly. And it turned out that uh, the usability is, is a problem and people are not uh, really getting used to it, are not uh, using the tool very often and don't get the insights that are out there generally. So that was one. However, then because we saw the problem coming there and connected to the usability and we decided to educate more the customers on the data products, on how to use the data products. We also created some tutorials, how to use, how to get the insights from and help them to go through the way. But it was a bit bumpy in the beginning and it was not very streamlined as we were thinking in the very beginning. And going to parts where you've seen empowered product teams fail or do, do you, let's say, have a devil's advocate example about why you shouldn't be empowered or I know I always like to play this both sides. So I, I tend to notice that people hear about something and they try to apply it everywhere under any circumstances. And then they get disappointed that it hasn't worked like in the book. I don't think all organizations have to do the transition right away and for all their it's also a complex setup, right? If you give a product manager the full revenue responsibility and you say on top of everything else, they also have a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. It's, it's a bit of too much. Uh, and therefore, this transition should happen only in the teams where you see very mature uh, triangle. And when I see triangle, you understand the product manager, the engineering manager, and the designer. So if you see quite mature team already, that is quite autonomous already working on the roadmaps, on the OKRs, on jobs to be done, then this is a good team to start with, right? And if you have a junior who just joined the organization, team is not fully cross-functional, then you don't need to do the transition in that very team in that very moment. You want to wait. So therefore, I would say do the transition within the time. Start with already good performing teams where you see the maturity level is high. Measure the results. And then help them to train other teams to get there as well. But don't do it all at the same time and don't risk your business all in all. It, it won't work most probably. And also the teams might not be ready for that. And if you give them too much responsibility, they are not ready. Instead of getting motivated, they will get demotivated. So not for everyone, not at the very moment. And what should you do for the junior teams? Let's say you end up in a place that where no one is doing this, uh, how, how would you go about it? So if you have too many junior teams, hopefully there is still some capacity to also hire some seniors in the team, because I strongly believe that in the product organization that there should be healthy mix of juniors, seniors, right? We speak about diverse teams and diversity that doesn't come only with the gender, right? To me, I also see when I speak about diverse and mixed teams, I see that different seniority levels are also out there because Juniors also need a lot of support from their peers, not only from their direct managers. So if there are other peers in the organization who are a bit more senior and can help the juniors to grow, that would be excellent. If there is no possibility to hire more people to have this healthy mix, then the management team has to step in and be more hands-on, help the juniors to learn the, the path towards going upwards or in their career, seeing more a big picture and being more as a support out there because juniors need more support. They need better understanding and better kind of drop down of the complex strategy, what should be their direction and, and so on. So then the mm -hmm. management teams have to be more hands-on, 
uh, supporting the teams, giving them more direction, keeping an eye on the outcomes and the results uh, and help them to grow. Have you seen cases where the resistance for this wasn't coming from the management or sales who are usually the scapegoats for that, but actually PMs themselves? Because in our line of work, sometimes we meet product owners or business analysts, which are the less refined titles uh, or let's say competencies that are included in product management. And they are comfortable like that, right? It's it's easier to just get something already thought of by someone else where you have less uncertainty. You are somehow also not to blame if it doesn't work out when you launch it into the market. Have you seen this type of pushback? And mm-hmm. how can you identify that this is going to happen in a product team? Maybe even if they don't vocalize it themselves, but they are not extremely on board with mm-hmm. being empowered. I have seen some product managers, not in my direct teams that were acting like that, because usually when for I, for example, do the hiring, I always try to cherry pick people who have this intrinsic motivation of solving the problem. Mm-hmm. This is the one common denominator that I would like to have in the team that people are, are really motivated of what they are creating, what problem are they solving, results, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a big portion for me to identify a good product manager. And to be honest, I think that all product managers need to have this ability to think, ability to solve the problems, ability to drive the results, and this should be motivating them. If not, maybe they haven't chosen the area of their responsibility appropriately, or maybe they have a personal problem that is not allowing them to do that right now. So in the second case, definitely the person needs more time and, and we should be supportive as a team, give them the time to kind of rest and, and come back whenever they are ready. But if the person is never ready, never wants to go an extra mile, never wants to solve extra problem, then I would question if the product management role is the best fitting role for that person. That's how I see it. And, and that's also a pretty tough conversation to have. We've had that uh, at, at product people where... Some people came in through our associate program and then realized they actually didn't want to do product management because it's a different experience when you have to do it. And then also in the way we pitch the role, we try to make it less attractive because at least on the market, it's a relatively hyped job area to be in and people are going to be, oh, I'm going to do strategy. So we have associates thinking they're going to go at the client and do strategy. No. Uh, you you are going to write user stories and break them down and write acceptance criteria and between each of those you prioritize. As, so that has been a um, pretty hard learning for us on how can we get people that are interested to do things, but are also humble and pragmatic and in understanding what this role is really about. Uh, we've also had cases where people came in as PMs, did PM about with us for a while and then exited the, the job into do, doing user research or user design or something like that. So that is a really interesting realization because no one talks about that, right? Most of our bubbles are, I want to get into product, I want to promote, but we've seen people come in and say, nope, nope, <laughs> and leave or do this for a while and say, ah, oh, yeah, this is actually not for me. I'm more into the creative area of product management, so then design is a better fit. And therefore I say product management is not for everyone. (laughs) And that's really true because as a product manager, you really need to wear many, many multiple hats. 
you don't need to be like real expert, but you need to be good at like being creative, being good in data, being good in technical understanding. This is the most ever stakeholder heavy role that one can have in the organization being a product manager. So you need to deal with a lot of different departments. And on top of that, you need to convince those people or you need to also be open for a change. You need to be strong in your argumentation about the why and not about that it's your own belief. <laughs> and you need to be open for a change because things in product change quite often or, or even things that we don't influence, like there was COVID and there was this whole macroeconomical crisis. So you need to be ready for a change, shift the direction, shift the focus. And not everyone is has this resilience to stress, has this readiness for change. And therefore, product management is not for everyone. And it's good that some people realize it themselves because I know every person is perfect for something and they need to find that whatever something is, right? And if they are not great in product management, they don't enjoy it. They should not be there and they should find something that makes them perfect and that makes them happy. Because when they are intrinsically motivated and happy about doing something, then they will succeed. This overlooked the career advice that you should follow your passion, but also you shouldn't do something you completely hate because you can't get good at something you really, really hate. And it's, it's very far away from your areas of competence. I think Scott Galloway had that. First, he was making fun of following your passion is usually something you hear from billionaires who made money through something really boring that they had to <laughs> through a very long time, but you also shouldn't go the other part of staying too long where you really hate the job that you're doing or somehow completely incompatible with your personality and aspirations as you're going to burn out and not progress very far in your career. So I know it's pretty tough and that's why we also try to tone down the expectations of people. So we don't end up with people who is like, ah, oh, but I was told product management is so glamorous and so on. No, it's not. It's Susanna, one last question. How do you empower your PMs, the people reporting to you, and how do you motivate them to act in an empowered way without, of course, micromanaging or needing to always look out for what they're doing? My, so to say, secret formula is that I always have an open door as point number one. So my people always know that whenever they have a question, challenge, blocker, bottleneck, they can always knock my door. And, and ask for a support. And I don't interfere unless there are too many junior, juniors and I don't interfere much unless they knock my door. So they know I'm always there. I also very much recommend and push them towards working in a cross-functional way. Like every time you have a product idea, validate the business case behind that. Whenever you have the design, check the usability of the design and all of this. I kind of ask them to work and split the risks that we also spoken about previously, split that among the team they are working with and not drive everything all alone uh, because all alone you can make more mistakes. I also celebrate the success together with them and always recommend them to be data-driven. So every product manager that works with me, they know that they will start their day with the dashboard, opening the dashboards first, seeing the numbers first, and only then doing whatever topics they have for the day. And building the trust in the team, making sure they understand my vision and vision of the organization, that they see the big picture, because if you don't know where are you going, it's difficult to, to reach to the desk. 
direction. And so I always make sure people understand what they are hired for, what, what are the expectations from, what metrics do they need to drive to show that they are getting there. And then I disappear. I let them to do the job. And whenever they have the problems, they know the open door. This is very much it. And if you have hired the right people and set them on the right roles, they will do it. I also try to hire the right people always, if I have the chance to hire myself. And if not, if there are already people in the organization, I try to make sure that they are in the right roles and managing the right products where their strengths can contribute towards a good success. That's it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sona. This was a great podcast. Thank you for Mirella. It was good, good being here. Uh, see you next time. Thanks for listening to this Product People podcast. If you found it useful, please subscribe and consider giving us a rating. For more info, visit getproductpeople.com and see you next time.